According to data from Statista.com, the average price of a new home sold in 2020 in the USA was $391,000. According to Climate Change Realty, the price of finding your real estate agent and creating thousands of dollars in donations to support climate action is and always will be $0. Welcome to the podcast. Kyle, great to meet you, man. Thanks so much for taking some time to come on the show. We're going to have a, a really interesting episode today. Very confident about that. Thanks, man. No, I really appreciate you bringing me on. Uh, and I, I just love chatting about these topics. So super welcome. Yeah. And you have a, a vast knowledge base on a lot of interesting stuff and you're doing a bunch of amazing things. So uh, before we dive into it, I always love to get the podcast started with a bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the current moment. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm a I'm a chemist by background. I've always loved chemistry. You know, making bombs in my garage when I was 12 years old. You know, I've always liked that kind of side of things. And my dad was an environmentalist as well. So I ended up doing chemistry at university and naturally was attracted towards um, renewable technologies and and such things. And and. And it was towards the end of my uh, master's degree that I started working on CO2 utilization uh, and electrochemistry. And they became my two kind of big passions is, is, you know, how can we leverage these technologies to make a better world? Um, And, you know, since then, I've been on a mission to actually bring that into being uh, in, in the industry rather than just in an academic setting. Right. And so um, if you can't tell by the accent, he's out, he's out in the UK. Uh, where are you from originally? And how did you, why do you think you got interested in, in this stuff? You said your dad was an environmentalist. What, what did your, uh, your mother do? Mm, well, yeah. So born in Wales, uh, Cardiff, the capital city. Um, my dad, yeah, as you said, environmentalist, building wind farms, uh, uh, pellet mills for for biomass. But my mum was, um, she was a social worker, so she had a big heart and um, and really cared about people. So I guess in a way, that uh, that that has kind of motivated me to think a lot about compassion and suffering and to take climate change really seriously because ultimately it's a it's a question of like this, you know, suffering of people and planet. So. Um, I think she instilled the heart into me as well. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, so CO2 utilization and electrochemistry. We're kind of going to ha- have to break those topics down oh, for someone yeah. who's never <laughs> uh, doesn't really understand what any yeah. of that is. Um, before we go too deep into the science, um, coincidentally yeah. enough, you also participated in this deep science venture program similar to Toby, who we previously had on the podcast. So I wondered if you could share mm. a bit about your experience there. Yeah, well, there a deep science ventures is a obsessed bunch of people uh, who are relentlessly chasing after impactful solutions in energy, uh, health, computation, agriculture so they try and identify the world's biggest problems and then come up with innovative um breakthrough solutions for that so that's who they are i joined um towards the end of my phd uh, i still had my thesis to write up but i i'd done most of the work uh, and then i started working for them um in in the space of energy trying to come up with different solutions in that space so i wasn't necessarily set on the kinds of things that we'll talk about later, it was really an opportunity to look really broadly 
ask lots of interesting questions to experts in academia and in industry and in policy and trying to figure out what really needs to exist to uh, to make a difference. Um, and and so they they give you you know mentorship guidance resources everything you need essentially to build your own company um and so that yeah it's just a wonderful group of people well they're obviously attracting some really cool people as well which i think is is pretty awesome and i think that this is just like the beginning how how long ago was that company or organization founded probably not too long I'm guessing, uh right? will be i think this friday is the fifth uh, birthday party, oh, cool. uh, f- their, their fifth anniversary of Deep Science Ventures. So they're still young, always iterating. They've changed a lot over the last five years, but uh, I think they're really scaling up in a in a powerful way at the moment. Totally, they're making some big moves. So so shout out to them. Um, so now let's kind of let's kind of break down the the two. Actually, wait, what was your what was your thesis on when you were studying? Oh, my thesis. Yeah, uh, it was uh, making catalysts. Uh, so the materials that accelerate reactions to turn CO2 into useful chemicals like methanol, which is um, it has a market share of like hundreds of billions of dollars every year. So, you know, big, uh, big commodity chemicals. Um, if anyone on, who might be listening to this um, is aware of a company like Opus 12, uh, they make they, they do the exact type of chemistry that I was really interested in in my PhD methanol you're saying it's a billion dollar industry but i've never heard of it what does it do oh it it, it's it's like the big chemical that like most people in the public don't know it's in it's in paints it helps make glues it's used for chemical transformations um it's it's you know you'll find a bottle of it in every chemical lab you know it's uh it's a great solvent for lots of things um it's just a, a very useful chemical it it's I was just going to say it's the shortest alcohol that you can get. So it's one carbon less than the alcohol that we like to get drunk off. And it's the impurity in in uh, in in like homebrew distillation that makes people blind. <laughs> so so that's that's how people might come into contact with it. <laughs> well, that's always good, isn't it? Um, so you were studying a catalyst which i find very interesting and for someone anyone who doesn't know a catalyst correct me if i'm wrong is like an input you put into a process that actually makes a reaction start happening right yeah it either makes it happen or it just makes it happen a lot faster okay but crucially it doesn't uh, become consumed itself so it's like a tool right you know if you're trying to nail in uh nails into a wall well you could do it with enough brute force but if you have a hammer you're going to nail a lot more nails into that wall in a short space of time gotcha i just find that that I, the idea of a catalyst very interesting like um a, an idea can be a catalyst for someone to change their life path or something it's not it's yeah. it goes um more existential than just science but okay let's let's start by talking about what what like the big issue in the room the whole carbon thing so can you kind of explain to me because i know you know a lot about this how we turn coal oil and gas into energy just to start yeah of course so you know these things obviously do not create energy they just transform uh, energy that hit the earth a very long time ago um and you know turned into plants and then became you know coal oil and gas um 
And, and so we turn those into energy by simply burning them. You know, it's the crudest way of getting energy out of anything. You set it on fire, you make loads of heat, you uh, boil loads of water, turn that into steam, put that through a turbine, and uh, out comes a load of electricity. Uh, that's, that's how we've run our planet for the last 200 years. But, you know, it's kind of crude, really, burning things. We've been burning things since we were, you know, cavemen. So, right. you know, there, there are other ways that we're that are coming online now. So there's like all these atoms and protons and these carbon ones are like really condensed sources of material. And when we burn them, it creates more energy than if we were burning something like wood. Wood is also carbon, but the 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 oil or the coal is like a really condensed form of it right um it has among like of of, of all fuels it has um, among the highest energy densities um so uh, compared to batteries and various things per kilo you're going to get um or, or, or per, per volume actually you're going to get the most energy out um it's it's just super usable things like wood um uh, have a lot of types of um bonds that that make it um uh, a, a less effective fuel so like when did you first become interested in this and well before i go there how is you say that burning it is like a crude way of extracting energy would there be a way for us to use hydrocarbons in a a, a more efficient way to use more energy maybe before it releases the carbon back into the atmosphere potentially well you're always gonna um release uh well <laughs> there's different ways of going about this but you you could you can convert uh hydrocarbons into hydrogen, for example, and then you can use a uh, technology called fuel cells uh, that converts the hydrogen um, uh, into energy, uh, reacting it with oxygen to form water. Um, that is quite an efficient process, and and you can do that in, in such a way that you lock up the car carbon as solid carbon. Um, that's quite a let, let's say like a a less image, a less mature way of going about it, um, but that that's kind of one of the ways. That's that's an interesting way you can extract the useful energy out of hydrocarbons, but keeping the carbon locked up as a solid. How long have we known how to do something like that? Well, um, a couple, a few decades, really. Fuel cells, you know, started coming around, um, like actually being useful in the last few decades. Uh, still very expensive technologies, though, um, and and people have uh, kind of con extracted hydrogen out of uh, hydrocarbons uh, since uh, the Second World War. Actually, uh, uh, Nazi Germany didn't have access to oil, but they had access to coal, and they could take the hydrogen out of the coal, and then they actually used that to make fuels that they that they needed to drive their war efforts. So. Um, so yeah, about about 60, 70 years now. So are, is when you are you consuming that hydrogen is the hydrogen being released into the atmosphere as well in that case or no? Well, if if, if you're if you're converting the hydrogen via fuel cell then it goes back to water. Um, if you're making fuels out of the hydrogen and and um, carbon monoxide when you break down coal uh, then that actually goes back to CO2. 
Um, okay. So that's that's not a good thing from a climate change perspective. Right. Unless you get the CO2, as we may talk about later, from the air or, you know, a, a, a biological source. Right. All right. Complex science stuff. Let, let's let's talk about something yeah. I actually understand, which is carbon capture, utilization, and storage. Can you tell me a bit about? And then I had read an article that the UK is like ramping this up big time. Could you kind of explain what that is for people? A lot of uh, environmental advocates are like, shut down the coal plants, kill everything, and then there's also people who are like, hey, we actually need to have energy. Like there are um, energy shortages in Europe. I think that Germany was experiencing issues. Now we have a war that's going on that's constricting the oil supply. So carbon capture utilization and storage is a really nice kind of holdover strategy in my mind. I wonder if you could kind of explain that and talk about uh, how the industry is going in the, US, in the UK. Yeah, well, carbon capture and utilization is a, a family of technologies um, that that comp- that you maybe you can kind of uh, cut it up in, in two ways. It's there's a group of technologies that can capture CO two from uh, uh, concentrated emissions like power plants um, and uh, cement factories and and, 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 and steel works and things like that. Uh, so that's just capturing it. And that's quite an old technology. Uh, that's several decades old now. Uh, and then there's capturing it from the air. So that's capturing it from uh, a very low concentrated source. Um, and that obviously is a lot harder to do. And that's why that direct air capture is kind of the, the new hot thing. Um, but it has a lot of benefits because you're not just dealing with the emissions of the present, but you're dealing with the emissions of the past. You're dealing with the historical emissions of the Industrial Revolution um, in, in effect, um, or the, the emissions since then. Um, so, that, okay, so that's, that's, that's the ways that you can either mitigate, you know, petrochemical processes or capture carbon from the air. And then the utilization part and storage is then um, is is a range of technologies that takes the CO two and does something useful with it, utilizes it. So that could be to make fuels, um, that could be to make plastics, uh, building materials, um, and a, and a variety of chemicals as well. Uh, and and there's there's so many different ways of doing that, um, and you can't quite pigeonhole that. And then there's the storage side of things, which can range just from Sticking it in a in a uh, in the ground, some kind of reservoir, a saline aquifer, um, or finding unique geological sites that contain rocks rich in the materials which can actually react with that carbon dioxide and form carbonates. So Norway, they have a a, a government backed oil company that's been injecting CO two under the seabed for the last twenty years and monitoring. Um, uh, that process and and I mean they're the ones who who report the results but they say that they can they can um, verify the safe and 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 on on that time scale permanent removal of co2 in into these locations um, so I'm, I'm so there is some uncertainty um, in, in in a way because can you monitor every part of the seabed? Um, but if you understand the geology well enough using like sort of seismic imaging, then, then you can at least have a, a very long, you know, hundred year uh, sort of time scale um, confidence that the CO2 will stay there. 
but it, it, it certainly depends from area to area. All right. So the previous president who shall not be named that people get uh, roused up about in this country talked about this idea of um, clean coal. And I think people laugh at that. Um, but there is an interesting thing. First off, um, do you by chance know what percent of UK power comes from coal-fired power plants off, offhand or no? It's, it's, it's quite low. We've been um, progressively turning it off. And, and, and I'll see news reports every so often being like, we didn't use any coal power for an entire month or, you know, whatever. Um, and it's about 45% renewable at, at the best times. So, but I think it's under 10% usually. Okay. Well it, well, it used to be a lot. I guess that might not be a great example. Perhaps oil or natural gas is a better example. But something I wanted yeah. to talk to you about was this idea of decarbonizing oil and gas production in the UK. Um, so is it the same? Because I'm thinking about it as like coal and they use like scrubbers and capture the CO2. So I guess just do you think it's possible to decarbonize hydrocarbon, you know, energy production? It, it's definitely possible. Um, you know, you can you can take that CO2 and you can stick it into geological formations, just as I, I was explaining. Um, but the thing that that I don't know is like, well, it's just a transition technology. It can never really be a permanent solution. So why waste resources uh, on a on a stopgap kind of solution when you, we could be plowing those resources into things that transcend that 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 kind of technology and isn't based on a finite resource? Um, so yes, it's possible. Should we do it? Well, maybe there will be a, a, a range a range of applications that will never be um, uh, will always emit some amount of CO two at, at least for the next hundred to two hundred years. Um, uh, and 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 so maybe that there might be just some some things that are difficult to replace with a better technology, and therefore we should just clean up our waste because it because you can think of carbon capture as just a waste collection service. Um, and, and there may be some situations where it makes sense, but I don't. I don't want to see a world where we just plug carbon capture onto every chimney and don't think about how to make, you know, avoid it in the first place. The best thing to do with waste is avoid making it in the first place. Yeah, well, people are definitely thinking about it, but what comes to mind particularly is uh, freight shipping. I think freight, yes, yeah, freights are ships, and aviation is really, really difficult to, to decarbonize. Um, exactly. So I just want to be re realistic when I'm trying to think about problem solving. There are people, it's mostly a human problem in the sense that all the solutions do exist. If we had one um, benevolent dictator, he could decarbonize the economy overnight, and we probably would still be able to produce everything. But but there are systems in place and livelihoods and blah, 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 blah. So it's always good to just kind of yeah. understand everything that's going on. But I, I agree with you in the sense that if it's a finite resource um, versus, I mean, one could, you can't really consider the sun a finite resource. I mean, without the sun, there's no people. But uh, it's certainly less finite than the the uh, oil and gas supply that we have exactly yeah we've got like we've we have over a billion years left of enjoying the sun so we're good i wonder if there's something we could do to extend that a little bit more who knows but uh cool <laughs> well thanks for the the kind of broad introduction about what's kind of going on in that space let's let's talk about what, what you're up to man what is uh what is mission zero technologies 
Yeah, well, Mission Zero Technologies is a direct air capture company. We separate CO2 from the air um, and then concentrate that to produce a pure form of CO2. And then we work with um, users of CO2 to either store that into building materials or we're exploring other kinds of products that um, that make use of that CO2. Um, we're, you know, kind of the second wave of direct air capture capture uh you know shout out to the first wave um but we think we have some you know nifty innovations that will lower the cost of direct air capture and make it easier to deploy um and so we're at you know still an early stage um designing our first pilot plant um and and doing all the technology development to make sure it works well um and yeah that's that's kind of where we are we're still a small team you know we're um about eight eight people but we're we've got a, a new hiring plan uh, and and we'll be um hiring quite a few people over the next year how does one go about lowering the cost of a direct air capture plant and by the way direct air capture sucking carbon out of the air still and doing something with it that's like pretty much yeah. broad that's yeah and there's like it turns out there's you know dozens of ways of doing that but um uh, how how do we make that cheaper? Well, one of the big costs of direct air capture is the amount of energy required to do that. You have to move a hell of a lot of air. And then when you have that CO2 captured in, in some form, you require a, about, um, about five times the energy you use to capture it to get it out again. So generally, the, the way that we capture it stabilizes it in such a way that you require even more energy to to uh, release it as a concentrated gas. Um, that has typically been done using heat. So carbon engineering, Climeworks, they heat up their materials to release the CO2. And, and that is a very energy intensive step and makes it quite hard to deploy it wherever you want. In the case of carbon engineering, they use natural gas to re- release the CO2. Sounds kind of kind of intuitive in some ways and Climeworks uses steam so they they situate themselves with people near um, uh, waste heat or geothermal energy and so that kind of imposes a bit of a deployment constraint Um, and my vision of direct air capture was always something that you could deploy wherever there is air and and electricity not not having to co-locate with some you know specific thing like geothermal energy um, so we found an, a, an electrochemical way of doing that. And so using electricity, we can move ions around um, and separate the uh, CO2 uh, using, u- using these electrochemical cells. And I might have to go back a step to explain that a little bit. Maybe. So when, when, when you dissolve CO2 in, in, in our solvent, it it ionizes so and and this is the same process that happens when you have a like a a fizzy drink like a a glass of beer or coca-cola when the co2 dissolves in there it doesn't stay as co2 it actually uh, stays as uh, carbonic acid that's and and so that's why it's tangy because it's acidic um so so the co2 reacts with a molecule of water and then you create h2co3 and that in water dissociates into protons and into bicarbonate ions. 
So, and that's also the same way we get CO2 out of our body. You know, uh, in our muscles, you make CO2 that gets turned into these ions that's transported to the lungs and then a catalyst interconverts CO2 and, and then you breathe it out. So we're kind of, it's, it's bio-inspired what we're doing. We make these ions and then we pass those ions through the electrochemical cell and then the voltage drives those ions apart and concentrates them in another chamber. Um, so there's there's a lot of, lot of um, sort of mimicry with, with how our cells move move CO2 around. I think that's smart. Um, how, how'd you, how's this, how, how'd you figure it out? Who figured it out? How did it come? Like what, what goes on in these labs? Like, how do you guys like figure this stuff out? I'm so yeah, totally different way of like thinking than me. Well, um, the, the funny thing is in deep science ventures, you, you don't have a lab. <laughs> you just, you just do a lot of thinking. And, I do like that. Um, yeah, like we we started without any experimental work. So that's that's how we started. And we I I kind of it sounds corny, but I did I had a an inspirational dream um where I I had a dream so abstract. I had a dream of CO2 dissolving into water, just like I described earlier, uh forming you know ions in water. And then you can get these membranes which only allow ions to cross over them. And so in this dream, I saw, I saw bicarbonate ions moving across a membrane and separating from, you know, oxygen and nitrogen because the membranes only allow ions. They don't allow other gases. And so I had this dream. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a way of getting CO2 away from nitrogen and oxygen and all the other things uh, that's in the air. And, and that was the basis. It, it wasn't what we're doing now, but it was the seed of inspiration that led me to, you know, doing a lot more research in that area and finding ways to actually turn that into something. Um, we have a whole graveyard of ideas. I don't know if you've heard of the whiteboarding software Miro, but it's just full of like, you know, drawings and diagrams and, and ridiculous things that we eventually, you know, swiped off one by one as until we found something that we could actually um, deploy quite easily and, and actually made sort of sense, you know, didn't invoke kind of bespoke materials and, you know, crazy new designs and stuff. We wanted something that we could actually uh, re- build really easily and, and ideally procure from existing suppliers. And, and we achieved that. Have you had experiences like that before where you've had like a dream about like a th- your thesis or something you're studying and had like a breakthrough? I d- I've never heard a story like no. that. Before. I'm like dreaming about no, like no, my no, parents never. not telling me what to do still. Like that's me. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I used to have dreams while doing my PhD of mixing things together in the lab and, and discovering a, you know, a brand new catalyst, but they never made actual chemical sense. They always were just kind of abstract and and useless um so yeah it was the first useful science dream i've ever had well that's so cool in the sense that they say you sometimes you do your best work when you're not working you know what i mean mm. so that that's really interesting yeah so your company your your methodology for direct air capture is is ionization you said right yeah yeah like that's that's a central part of it okay and when you capture the carbon 
is it always stored in h2o in like water or in just a different or like in a liquid form or is it does it need water or can it just be how is yeah. it being stored yeah so the first step is co2 well the air being mixed with our our water-based capture solvent okay so it's it's water plus a a uh, a, uh, a molecule which stabilizes co2 as ions and then that that then that solution gets passed through our kind of our separation cell, which takes those ions and then concentrates them, uh, and then and then releases it as a as pure CO two gas. So you're so you are capturing gas then. We're capturing gas, temporarily handling it in in solution, and then and then converting it back into a pure gas. And then what are you going to do with the gas? Yeah, so um, there's loads of things you can do, but we're, we're, our first application is making building materials. So there's a company in the UK called OCO Technologies, and they've got a great process where they take ash from incineration processes and they react that with carbon dioxide and and other materials, and they, offend, they, they form building aggregates um, that can be used for, um, for all types of construction purposes. So they have a site in England and we'll be building our pilot plant at their site, producing CO2 and, and, and sending that into their process. And that's, that's great because we, we're doing carbon removal and we're selling a product. So, Yeah, well, one thing that's interesting to me is that the most successful business ever in my mind is Apple. And they they are just real. They they sell products, and then you have like Amazon and Walmart, who are like really successful businesses. And they actually they sell products, but they I mean they do make things now. But they didn't start off by making anything. So it's just very curious about which industries have like the most impact. Um, when you talk to me, I think of a world where at at this point we should be um, if there's going to be something that's a carbon based product like concrete or whatever we should be pulling it all out of the atmosphere now um what are your kind of plans for the long term viability of this model is it just to sell more and more it's just to to turn what you capture into something that people can use so you're are you going for you're not going for like the permanently store in the ground and then what are how are they making money if they're just storing it in the ground you know we're we're going to do everything. We're going to be one of the biggest suppliers of green CO two in the world. Um, so yes, we're doing the utilization stuff, but we're actually exploring projects where we're uh, uh, injecting it into the ground, a bit like that Iceland example I gave earlier. Um, they all all of that needs to happen, you know, right. if we're going to address this challenge. But how but how does the storing it in the ground business model work? Right. Well. Um, you have companies like Shopify, Stripe, Microsoft, and others who are looking to um, uh, fulfill their net zero commitments. And that means that they have to um, uh, remove the amount of CO2 that their, their operations produce. Um, and, and there's lots of ways you can do that. You know, there's reforestation programs and all kinds of things. But the most verifiable um, most permanent way of doing that is direct air capture. And because of those qualities, um, these companies are willing to pay a lot more to, 
to remove that CO2. So whereas reforestation could cost you $10 per tonne or less, uh, direct air capture is going to be costing, well, you know, at the moment, hundreds of dollars per tonne. The game is to get it under $100 per tonne. But even so, these companies are, are catalyzing uh, the industry by, by sort of paying quite high rates to get it going. And, and, and if you look at all the carbon um, commitments, the net zero commitments of, of you know, the, the of big multinational corporations, you add up that amount of CO2, it's massive. So they are voluntarily um, are paying extra to clean up their trash, basically. Um, they, 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 they're taking a, a step that they don't actually need to take, but I guess, you know. Depends how you look at it. Uh, yeah, you could say like they need a, a a license to operate. They need the public to to agree, you know, that they're doing the right thing. So there's great, you know, there's a PR aspect to it, but I think there is also an like a a responsibility that people are increasingly feeling. Well, also to be fair, if Microsoft wants to keep selling computers and Apple wants to keep selling computers, they need people who can afford to buy computers. And if the entire ecological system is collapsing because we've been emitting tons and tons of carbon for seven decades, yes. then their business models might not work forever. If you might, you might think. Um, so yes, yeah, sh- short answer: carbon credits. Um, f- fair enough. Um, I'm always trying to think about ways to to monetize things in a more clever way you should definitely connect with uh tommy from b0 they're uh they're doing a lot of cool stuff with oh the yeah car. yeah oh you know him already i don't personally know him but my co-founder uh, shill has been chatting to b0 i'm not sure if if it's tom but um yeah they, they like conversations are currently ongoing well he's the ceo so um do you guys need to use like fans at all or does the co2 naturally come in through your oh. like your liquid yeah, currently we we're using fans. It's the fastest way to get CO two in. You know, there are ways of relying on the wind and and other things, and that's cool. And and we probably will look at that one day. But at the moment, we're not relying on 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 the wind. Um, it's a little bit it's it's a little bit less reliable, <laughs> right? Shall we say? Um, and do you ever engage in dialogue with like? really pure like naturalists who are more into like reforestation and stuff like that and then kind of how does that compare to like what you're doing like the someone might you know like the mad scientist approach perhaps i i really so i i talk to like people from all over the spectrum and i just i love that people are just trying you know what i mean i don't think there's a right or wrong way of going about doing things i think you just got to try and see what works i just wonder if i could gauge your thoughts on that before we start talking about your other adventure um yeah i i i don't have you know if i'm honest i'm really saturated in what i'm doing um and and now i before i zoomed out and now i've zoomed in um (laughs) and and so (laughs) i wouldn't say i've been having any conversations with naturalists we have spoken to um we did chat to a reforestation company about a year ago that have been doing some kind of quite cool work with specializing on the types of trees that you use and you know, I had some conversations about kelp and 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 that kind of stuff. But I am a little bit zoomed out from that, so I, I can't feel. I don't feel like I I speak from any kind of um, position of expertise. Well, I mean, what I would say to that is, 
I, 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 I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. If you really want, like you said, you want to become like one of the biggest um, players in this space. The way you do that is by focusing in and not worrying about what someone else is thinking. Whereas me, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to talk to everyone because it's just really fun. Um, mm. So let's, let's kind of transition here and talk about this idea of uh, green hydrogen. Cause you're not only working on mission zero tech, you have another company, uh, super critical solutions. So, so what, what is green hydrogen? Green hydrogen is hydrogen made from water, usually. Um, there are probably some ways of take, you know, making it from plants and stuff, but really the space is dominated by companies that are developing technologies called electrolyzers. And they use a voltage, um, a couple electrodes, and, 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 and a ionically conductive solution to split water into hydrogen and oxygen. It's, this is a technology that, you know, has existed for maybe 200 years now, like at, at least from a, you know, first demonstrated perspective, but it's, um, it's only been ramping up um, in the last couple of decades as there's been an increasing kind of case for it because it's not as cheap as, as fossil fuels. And so you have to have, um, you, you have to have, you know, climate change to spur people on to think about it. Hmm. Um, it's been dominated by basically three types of technologies for the last couple of decades. Um, and, not, and, 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 the, and no one's really been asking other ways of redesigning it to make it better. People have just been looking at small iterations. Oh, can we make it cheaper? Can we make the catalyst a little bit better? Um, quite kind of small things, I think. And, and so I, I looked at, at these technologies and I said, well, how much better can they really get? You know, okay, maybe they get 10% better, 20% better. Maybe China just produces them really cheaply. Uh, but let's try and reinvent it a little bit. And so that's that's how Supercritical Solutions was formed. I, I looked at the costs of electrolyzers and I said, well, membranes uh, are super expensive. The membranes that are used in, in, uh, in the electrolyzers. Is there a way to uh, make an electrolyzer without a membrane? You need the membrane normally to separate your hydrogen from your oxygen. If they mix, you have an explosive mixture and that's not a good thing. Um, self-evidently um and 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 the other issue is um that that these electrolyzers don't normally produce very high pressure hydrogen and the biggest use case for hydrogen in the world it's like 90 percent of all hydrogen is used to make fertilizers uh, it's like a hundred billion dollar market um and so so we've developed an electrolyzer that that disc that has avoided the membrane and so that's a that's a cost saving and and tends to be the first component to fail um we can uh we can produce high pressure hydrogen which represents a massive cost for the the normal consumer that typically buys it and we run it a kind of a, a relatively hot condition that makes it um much more um much higher productivity of hydrogen at a lower energy. So we're kind of hitting a bunch of things by redesigning the electrolyzer. Um, and, and, and we think that will make the, the kind of the best product for, for, for delivering hydrogen to one of the biggest applications um, um, that's currently in, in, in the market. So the biggest application is, is these fertilizers, which whether people realize or not, we're, um, 
we're using a lot of that to eat food. Um, what, um, what other yeah. use cases is there for like hydrogen or hydrogen power that we are, it's something that's in our daily lives right now. In our daily lives, you know, we don't really see much of hydrogen uh, other than fertilizers. You, you might hear about hydrogen fuel cell cars. Uh, they kind of haven't really been able to make much traction, mostly in Japan, if anywhere. Um, you can, uh, uh, that people are talking about hydrogen for decarbonizing steel production. Um, so when you're, uh, iron production, sorry. When, uh, when you're taking the ore and trying to make a, uh, make your iron. People usually use carbon uh, to reduce the, the the ore to its to its metal, and that makes a lot of CO2. But you can use hydrogen to do that instead. So then you can um, uh, vastly reduce the sort of um, amount of emissions required to oh, that are imposed when when you um, when you produce iron. It's something like. 1.5 tons of CO2 is produced for every ton of, of uh, iron that you make. 1.2? 1.5, I think. You'll have to check me on that, actually. It's been a while since I've been no worries. using these More. numbers. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. I mean, I'm impressed by how, how much you, you, you know already. It's really insane. So the idea of green hydrogen being um, using hydrogen in place of carbon which will which will continue that greening effect whereas hydrogen will, will will have less less of a greening effect or will it have none i uh, sorry less of a warming effect warming effect i mean zero warming effect yeah i mean um it makes water vapor and water vapor it actually does have a warming effect so it kind of depends on on what you do with the water afterwards but usually it's pretty simple to collect the water um so it, it, it shouldn't we shouldn't be a. uh too worried about uh, the, the water that's produced when you burn hydrogen yeah i mean what kind of water is just, just like regular water yeah yeah regular water i mean that seems pretty good to me it is pretty good it's, it's, <laughs> you're not going to get any better than that yeah yeah because i mean water is like the source of all life and then carbon we're made out of carbon but it seems to be the more we put it out the more things are dying is is the uh the thesis that we're we're kind of dealing with right now um what does like distillery ha a distillery have to do with this electrolysis of hydrogen process yeah so the distillery is supercritical's first pilot plant um opportunity so uh we won that from the British government because they put out a, a competition for how to uh, decarbonize distilleries. Why is the UK government interested in that? Um, well, in Scotland, uh, they produce a lot of whiskey, like so much whiskey that the Scots could never hope to even drink the amount of whiskey that they produce. Got to give them a chance, man. Come on. <laughs> so it's it's like it is a really highly emitting industry because okay I, well, I, I don't know the process so well but it involves um it involves um a few processes one is like boiling the some of the ingredients for very long periods of time to extract uh sugars and, and, and various things from it and then then there's another stage where you distill the uh, uh the water out of um the the, the sort of pre-whiskey product to, to bring it up to strength. And so that's usually been, uh, you know, that that's 
those usually require burners of some kind. Um, and so our project will be testing, well, first it will be demonstrating our electrolyzer at a reasonable scale, and it will be testing hydrogen firing to, uh, to, to do these heating processes without using natural gas or, or um, in, in some cases, the use or diesel and, and things like that. So um, it's, it's simply replacing a flame for another type of flame, uh, a, a petrochemical flame with a hydrogen flame. Hey, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Guile. Um, he's obviously the man, but unfortunately, we ran out of storage space on his computer at the end. So the last three questions um, are basically unrecoverable. So uh, I talked to him about what it was like working on two startups at the same time. And uh, he's, he's pretty optimistic, positive about it, which, was, which is cool. Um, he's obviously enjoying what he's doing, but I don't want to put any words in his mouth. So unfortunately, we're going to have to cut it here. I asked him what it's like working at uh, two startups at the same time, if he saw any limit to human capacity to create better technology. And then, of course, I always ask what advice he has for young people who are passionate about building a better world. But it's all good because we're going to have to follow up with him in the future because he's just getting started on his journey. And that's what I had said in the podcast as well. So I just want to give a big, big shout out to Guile. He's he's the man. It was really great having him on the show. But unfortunately, the the clips are just they're like mangled, pixelated stuff with audio looping every two seconds. So they're just basically unrecoverable. But um, yeah, thank you, man. It was it was awesome having you. I love everything you're doing. Looking forward to following following your journey as it continues to go on. And I really, really appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrealty.org today.